Watch your head. You okay? another episode of lay film this is a podcast where we basically do a film club of the week whenever we are on time with it Mm -hmm. um aside from that my name is kevin one of the co-hosts and with me today i have one of my other co-hosts patrick uh today we are missing two of our other co-hosts richie and tyler they have other tasks at hand but uh we'll try to carry on without them um to help with that we brought on two guests for this very special episode uh for our first guest he first appeared a few episodes ago on our twin peaks season one finale episode you know him you love him you can't get enough of him everybody welcome jezzer serafica back to the podcast hey thanks for having me it's good to be back yeah, so um, if you want to hear more about Jezzer, just go back to that episode and listen to it. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about Jezzer a lot in this episode, probably. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, we have some experiences to share. Oh, no. um, but also, uh, a newcomer to the podcast, we have Armin. Armin, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, what's going on, guys? My name's Armin Lopez. I'm a local filmmaker to Sacramento. You know, I'm trying to be a cinematographer and a director one day, hopefully. Um I guess you could find out more about me later throughout the episode, but yeah, that's basically me right now. <laughs> yeah, so um, Armin, I, I kind of wanted to talk about like how we all met. Um, mm-hmm. Jezzer and Armin, you both went to high school together, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, you were a, uh, what's it, two years under me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2012, I was 2010. That's right, probably. yes, yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess, well, so I brought Armin on last year to the to this short film that I directed last year. Uh, and, and so I brought Armin aboard there and that's how he kind of all met uh, everyone else so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, recently, like less than two weeks ago, we shot another one of Jezzer's films here at my house. And uh, we got to work with Armin again, which was phenomenal. Um, yeah, definitely a fun time. Yeah. So I, I guess I kind of wanted to ask a little bit about like what how you two felt about this that all that whole experience or if you even want to talk about the film at all jezzer i, I don't mind as long as you don't mind <laughs> no, it's, your, no. it's your show no no uh, it, no we, we can get to the film in, in a little bit uh how do i feel i mean i i had a good time i'm glad it all worked out for the most part i definitely i you know i i went into this wanting to improve upon my ability from last year's film I, I definitely think I did that, and I'm pretty happy and proud of myself, and I'll, I hope to only continue to improve from here. Do you want to um, give us the title of the film or like a, sino- like sure. a brief synopsis yeah. of it? I feel like I talked about this last episode. So the film's mm-hmm. called I Play Loser, and the synopsis, if I can remember off the top of my head, uh, it's about uh, a very competitive, uh, very uh, a very competitive young man who's good at fighting games, part of the fighting game community, and he goes down like a road of obsession when he realizes he's no good at a new video game. And it's it's uh, a kind of story where the character kind of loses parts of himself, loses his friends along the way, just so he could become the very best. Um, I guess if you, I think of like 
Whiplash or Black Swan, except related to video games, kind of. <laughs> it's kind of the idea. Um, so, so that's the story, and, and it it's a real story based upon something that happened to me in college, and I decided to turn that into a short film. And I, like I said, I really enjoyed making that, and uh, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, when I think about the way that we make films together, um, all of us really. Um, I'm sure that soon enough, Armin, you'll be able to like work with Pat on a set too. Oh yeah, like you two mm-hmm. remind me so much of each other on set. Like you, like <laughs> oh really? Like yeah. it's it's really <laughs> strange um, because it's almost like a nonverbal thing where you two just know exactly what to do, and like <laughs> like ten seconds before anybody even asks you to do it, and it's really cool. Like I I love working with people like that because I myself. Like, I, I try to be verbal on set with, like, what it is that I'm doing, um, just so, like, everybody's in the know. But um, I, I don't know. I just really value that sort of thing because um, there was this one um, quote that I heard. on. It was a very long time ago, and I used to watch this YouTube channel called Film Riot. I'm sure that all of oh, you yeah. have heard of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this one video from way back where um, Ryan Connolly was, like, talking about, uh, as a director, your job is to remove as many distractions from you know on set as possible that way it's just literally you and the actors and like focusing on what you're getting and that sort of thing and i feel like you two do like such a great job of like removing distractions by handling whatever task it is that you're that you're basically in charge of um because i i've i know i've worked with like people who aren't as um seasoned uh that's not to say that it's a bad thing but you can tell when somebody is like still very new to something on set. Uh, for instance, if, if they're like, oh, what can I do to help? And then you tell them, can you move this light stand? Or can you like raise it up to be about here? And then they're kind of like struggling with the light stand a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, it's to be expected with that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. You two seem to have like a lot of uh, natural intuition when it comes to that sort of thing. And I, I mean, like... I think it'll be really cool when all of us get to work on a film set together. <laughs> um, I feel it, like that's going to be the most efficient film set. Yeah, right. Because Jezzer sets are some of the most smoothest pro- uh, projects I've ever been a part of, honestly. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I, de- I definitely agree. Um, we, were, we were talking about this too, Jezzer, where um, you do like a really good job of basically calculating the amount of time, like the, the, the most amount of time that it'll take to get things done um and i feel like it, it it helps us to not have nearly as much pressure as you would have normally but um and you also are very relaxed on set like even if you might be like you know scrambling yeah. inside it, it does not freaking out yeah it does not play <laughs> out that way yeah well let's let's get to hear it you know i always try to overestimate uh the planning and the time so that you know that way when things go smoothly, we all get to rap early and everyone feels good about it. Um, and, you know, that's like a thing I've learned from this last recent set is like, I think I could cut down just the hair on the overestimations and streamline a, a couple more like scenarios within our time limit to be more cost effective is, a, is another thing I learned recently. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a balance, right? Just making sure you're not going, uh, you're not trying to cram too much th- too many things in a short amount of time but also not wasting time too yes yeah that's that's exactly what it is yeah um armin i i also wanted to ask you about some of your own experiences on like your film sets like when you're in the director's chair 
So I've only been in charge of two films. Uh, I directed two of them. One of them was back in 2019. That was like my first ever venture into it. I knew nothing. I didn't go to film school or anything like that. I just picked up a camera, saw what some people did online. I was like, all right, let's let's try with a couple of friends. And that was a pretty rough set because it was exactly like you were talking about. Uh, nobody knew how to do anything. And I barely knew how to do most things. So I had to teach them throughout the whole time. It was a two minute short and we took maybe five shoots to get it done. And my main actor dropped out. So I had to act in it actually. Oh my gosh. Wait, yeah. did they, did they drop out like halfway during it? Or? Um, well, the previous three shoots, they were all kind of like just random crap happened. My, my camera fell off its gimbal. Uh, the tripod collapsed. So <laughs> those, a lot of the footage wasn't usable. And then by the time we got to our final day, my main guy couldn't go because he had a family thing and we were pretty much reshooting the whole thing that day. So we were lucky enough to like, all right, well, if he can't make it in, I'll just jump in, you know. But besides that, this, the other film, I actually had people who I've worked with before and that one was a lot more smoothly. That was actually probably my favorite one over the past two years. It, it's, uh, it was hard though because we, uh, I actually did the opposite of what Jezra did. I underestimated how, uh, how much work it would take to light this film. And we had to, we did it in one night and it took us from like 7 p.m. to 2 or 3 a.m. And it was probably one of the most tiring experiences I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, anytime that night shoots take place, it's like a whole other world when it comes to, you know, making anything really. Um, And... I don't know. It's 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 cool to hear your two different experiences. One where it was just kind of like you, you know, getting the fire inside of you to go out and make something, and then the second time, not letting it, you know, fade out because of that previous experience, but you know, to keep on going with it, and to kind of you know, use that experience to your advantage in a, in a way. Um, I it. I don't know. I, I always really like hearing about people's first times experiences on on set. Um, Pat, what was what was like the first film that you worked on? Like, uh-huh. was it uh, was it in at Sac State at all, or before that? Yeah, I think yeah, Sac State. Yeah, it was at Sac State. I'm trying to think which one. Was it a uh, 128 film or? A- I, it was a 128 yeah. film. I uh, I saw fond memories of it. Is that like a class or? A- yeah. Oh, okay. It's like intro to film production, I think, kind of. I oh. think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like on location. I forget the exact details of the class, but it's it's the one it's one ring beneath the senior film oh, okay. project. Uh, I did a couple things in that class. We did like a vox pop, which was miserable, <laughs> and then we did a little interview series, which is a nightmare for me to remember. <laughs> Because I think I had class. It was like a conflict of schedules. And mm. it's like, okay, we have this professor we're interviewing. It's okay, interview him. Like, okay, my class starts in 10 minutes. I'm already five minutes late. Or I'm oh, going to be five minutes late already. And I was like, okay, I, I, got, I shot some B-roll and I was just the editor. And I was like, okay, the interview starts while I'm in my class. But the director of photography is coming. And it's like, okay, ask him questions and we got to edit it down. And then they came back with like 10 minutes of interview. And I was like, you need a two-minute long video with 10 minutes of interview which counts the questions being asked the person thinking about their answers it was like practically like 10 questions with yes or no answers and i had to stretch it but my favorite sorry to ramble my favorite (laughs) is malfaction i still love that's a fond memory and that was a period of my life where there's no production planning really 
I just spent, uh, I think a week before the night we planned the shoot, I went down to K Street near IMAX, and I walked around with my cell phone, and I took photos of uh, natural light from, like, offices and buildings mm. and, like, mm. ideas. And then we just came back with no plan, really, except for, like, the script outline and, like, locations for the scenes with Ashley and Kaylee and Maya and then Jessica and a friend from her high school, I believe, or another classes. And that was the whole team. And it was, like, 10 p.m., and we just ran around K Street IMAX. <laughs> I was the DP slash director, so I'd throw the camera down and just frame it up and, like, okay, it's lit well enough. Go ahead and go do the scene. And then we ended at the Rose Garden, and I think we wrapped by like one a.m. Nice. That's so you had no you had no lighting at all. You were just going off of what you saw out there, huh? I think maybe we had one panel, but I don't even oh, think wow. we had that. I I can't, I'd have to ask Kaylee because she was a big help on that whole production. But it was a nightmare, <laughs> and the cops came by at a certain oh. point at the end and just like you guys got to pack it up. And I was like, okay, we got enough coverage anyways, <laughs> and we just packed up and left. Oh wow, that's true guerrilla filmmaking right there. I can dig it. <laughs> Uh, Pat, if you don't mind me asking, what um what what role do you usually play on set? Uh, I like to think. Uh, right now, I think I'm in the position of nothing too major, mm. but I want to be a valued team member. Okay, that's what I go for. So you're not like trying, you're not pigeonholed into like a specific role all the time. Then I'm assuming you kind of interchange. Like, I, yeah, I'm wherever I'm needed. Okay, and, cool. Uh, yeah, just not DP yet or director, mm-hmm. but sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just grip, or even just some of the carry stuff. I'm there. Okay. Pat has directed films before, though. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That was like student stuff. Eh. That, that still, still counts. Yeah, it still counts. <laughs> Brothers Blue Jay, come on. Uh, That's a whole experience that we. I don't even think you've talked about it on this podcast on pod, before. The, the, Maybe once. So that's a tale for another day. When we get, <laughs> when we get Cody Chan on, we'll have we'll talk about that. Oh, yeah, that'll be really cool if we get Cody on here. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, Pat, Pat does like a bunch of other stuff too. Um, like you said, he's an incredible editor, very skilled at editing. Um, and I don't know, I, I think that, um, it's really cool to, um, ask people what sort of roles that they want to do before you like ask them to be a part of something. Right. Because it Mm -hmm. gives them like some sense of agency with what it is that they're doing. Like it, it lets me know as somebody like oh they're they're taking this role seriously like they want to you know progress in in this area mm-hmm. and i i think that that's that's a very good thing to be mindful of when working on set with other people i definitely agree because there's sometimes you know there are let's say you have someone who is good at you know being a being a grip or being a gaffer right but their passion is being behind camera being a dp but they're always being hired for that one position you know they don't want to get stuck in that one position their whole life, their whole career. So it, it is good to ask them, like, hey, what role do you want to play on this? Um, you know, obviously, I might, they might, someone else is directing, but maybe you want to be the DP or even just a camera operator. You know, so, yeah, it is good to ask, um, ask them before you hire them on. Just so, like you said, it does give them agency on what they're doing. And um, I'll give my example of, like, first time on set. I, uh me and my friends decided to start a film festival at my high school back in like 2011. And this was like in our final year of like video production. Uh, I, I was in that class for like three semesters or three years. I don't know, something like that. And 
I was like, okay, I'm going to start this film festival and then I'm going to win it. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, it's like totally skewed. Like I, I, I had like the biggest like aspirations of like winning this festival. Wait, Um, so you started it and you decided to compete in it? Yeah. Whoa. Is that like fair? Well, well, no, like I wasn't one of the judges. (laughs) Oh, no, I I was not. No, no. um, The the judges were, uh, I want to say three different teachers at our, at our high school. One was the video production professor. One was a graphic design professor. And then one was another person. I was going to say, you're going to vote for your own film. That's kind of cheating. (laughs) No, no, I I wasn't that big of a cheater, (laughs) but, but I was like, okay, I want to have a festival go where people can like submit stuff to it, anything. And I want to be one of the submitters to it, and I also want to win this festival. <laughs> so, um, me and my like, it started off with me writing the script on my own, and then I ended up like, if you, I still have the script to this day, there's like five names on the writers, thing, <laughs> and I just decided to include like all my friends who like contributed like one line or like one plot beat. Just because I was like, oh, if they contributed to it, they're they're considered a writer. When it's like that's not the case, really. Right. <laughs> but um. Yeah, and then it ended up really snowballing and devolving into this really fucking crazy script. It's called One in the Chamber. And um it's it's uh this this plot that revolves around like two like hitmen that are uh trying to figure out who killed like one of their like girlfriends or something like that. And it's and I remember I saw uh Park Chan Wook's The Vengeance trilogy, and I wanna say that the final film, um has like this effect where it goes from color to black and white slowly but steadily throughout the entirety of the, of the film. And I did that same exact shit. I ripped it off so much. <laughs> and uh, it ended up being like an 18-minute long movie that um, had like smoking, like cigarettes, and like prof- like crazy amount of profanity. And I have no idea how I got it screened at this festival, but like I, I spent like two days before it... Uh, just at my house not sleeping at all and skipping school to make sure that i got the film done on time because i had to edit out every single profanity (laughs) otherwise they wouldn't have screened it and then i uh submitted it like i want to say like a half hour before the uh the film or the festival started that was pretty wild um is that festival still running to this day i have no idea i was just thinking about that the other day or I, I, I remember I went there maybe once or twice after I graduated just to see the stuff that people were making still. And I was like, damn, like, this is cool. Like, people in this course, like, actually have something to, like, come to each yeah. year and to, like, strive for. Um, so I I didn't win anything, by the way. <laughs> only, only one of the actors won, like, best actor. And I remember when that happened and, like, one of my rivals won... Uh, the festival, like for best picture or whatever. You had a rival. Yeah, I had a rival. Oh, I, I had many, oh, I had no. many rivals at the high school. <laughs> oh. Not not in a bad way, but in like a in a creative like way. To, competitive way. Yeah, yeah competitive yeah. way. Yeah. And um, when it happened though, I got so dejected and so like crestfallen that like I just like I just went home and I fucking cried for like a oh. half hour and I like. Like, my room was a fucking mess. Like, I, I was like, fuck this. I'm never, like, making a film ever again. Yeah, fuck films, yeah, this dude. Yeah, is, this is terrible. I, I put in all this effort, and nobody, like, fucking cares about it. Like, why did I even make it? They just don't understand it. Yeah, exactly. And it was just, like, this, this completely warped way of thinking. But I'm so glad that it happened to me early on, because it really put me in my place. 
And, like, now when I actually, like, decide to create things, which, like, isn't that often anymore, I'm, like, coming out of or I'm trying to come at it from a place where it's like, oh, I'm doing this because this is what I want to see. Yeah. Uh, not like what others want to see or anything like that. But um, uh, aside from that, um, we're we're going to be talking about um, a film called What Dreams May Be... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what Dreams May Be... No, I'm kidding. Uh, Did you watch uh, the right version or something? Yeah. <laughs> This film is called What Dreams May Come. It's a 1998 film directed by Vincent Ward. It stars Robin Williams as a character named Chris Nielsen uh, alongside Cuba Gooding Jr., Annabelle Sciorra, Max von Sydow, if you haven't heard of his name, go watch The Exorcist or uh, (laughs) Bergman's films. Who who knows? Um, Anyways, the uh, summary is... Chris Nielsen dies to find himself in heaven more amazing than he could have ever dreamed of. There is one thing missing, his wife. After he dies, his wife Annie kills herself and goes ends, and ends up in hell. Chris decides to risk eternity in Hades for the small chance that he will be able to bring her back to heaven. And this film was picked by none other than Armin. Yes, and, sir. Uh, Armin, I wanted to ask you... Uh, what about this film like spoke to you in terms of like wanting to share it with us today? So the thing is, um, my first memory of this film was maybe oh, it came out in 98, right? So I think I was six or seven at the time. And I remember going to sleep one night and I think my cousin popped in a movie on the TV. So I was kind of just like secretly watching. And I remember the scene where he's in, uh, in heaven for the first time. And I remember seeing this beautiful landscape. And years later, I tried to figure out what that movie was, and then I watched it again. And it was one of the first few movies where I got to really see the concept of death, you know, and seen from such a different perspective. Because you usually when you think movies about death, it's it, once you the character dies, that's it, you know. But we get to see this whole afterlife that I never thought of would even have existed when I was younger, and it really, uh, it really kind of just stayed in my mind for a while a long time yeah it's it's really interesting seeing movies that deal with that i'm with that exact concept as a a child because i remember one of my first experiences with death was when i learned that my grandpa had passed away uh i i remember coming home from school and sitting in front of the tv and i think powerpuff girls was on or Mm -hmm. something like that and i was just like sitting there like usual like any other day and then I remember my mom coming in to tell me, hey, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your your grandpa's no longer here with us. Um, and I just remember like going in my room and I was like trying to sit there and like process it thinking like, okay, why am I not like crying right now? Yeah. Like what am I supposed to cry? Because like when I whenever I see people uh, deal with this sort of thing, it seems like they're crying. And it's so weird to, like, try and, like, make that connection at, like, such an early age of, like, being, like, five or six or something like that. And um, it, I, it's really strange having movies like this kind of, like, teach you in that way mm-hmm. um, or <clears throat> share it in a way. And to give, like, a film example, uh, one movie that I saw recently that is, a, like, easily one of my all-time favorite films is uh, The NeverEnding Story. Oh, I haven't watched that in a while. Oh, and the the there's a specific scene in that movie if you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Uh, one of Atreyu's companions is in peril. 
And it's a very difficult scene to get through for me, even to this day. I burst to tears every time I see it, and it sticks with me. It really sticks with me. It's very haunting, honestly, mm -hmm. when you watch it. And it's a kid's movie, too. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, and there's like an urban myth out there where it's like, oh, but, you know, didn't this... Uh, didn't the animal like die right. that sort of thing? And it's like, no, no, the animal was like perfectly safe. <laughs> yeah. It, it just looks like it's dying. But, um, Jezzer and Patrick, do you, do either of you have like experiences like that? Kind of similar to, to Armin's? Like when you were a kid seeing a movie like this? Oh boy. Uh, damn. I don't know. This is a hard one. Mm-hmm. It's not something you would normally think about, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking how specific it is. Mm -hmm. I think uh, one that permeates with me, uh, we, uh, my mom had packed me and my brother up, and we left my dad. We lived in motels and hotels for a period. Then one time we are at Section 8 housing, and we had the Tarzan movie. Mm -hmm. And I remember the soundtrack was awesome. Yes. <laughs> but there's, mm -hmm. there'd be a wave of melancholy with the apparent scene. And like one of the songs about Tarzan, and I think his, uh, the leader of the Pride Father disconnection thing. I remember that really resonating with me, as well as just loving that movie's soundtrack. Mm. Like early, er, early film memories is that, and like Star Wars Episode One, <laughs> And just, yeah, like, I want to see the fight again, so I watched the whole movie, because I can't understand. I don't have the concept, of like, oh, I could just rewind a certain distance. I was like, no, you got to rewind the whole movie, and then watch the whole movie again, <laughs> see the fight. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Rewind the whole movie and watch the whole movie again. But yeah, just something about it. I, I think it's, yeah, there's like one or two Tarzan songs that are like still baked in my memory. I like the scene with the butterflies and just all that stuff. And like, I remember that just deeply connecting with like mm -hmm. a certain aspect of my childhood psychology. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know if I really have an answer to the question. Um, I mean, I, so this is, I literally watched the movie for the first time today, What Dreams May Come. I watched it uh, just a few hours ago, and I, I still don't really know what to think. Uh, I think it's still washing over me or whatever. Um, but it, you know, I I thought reading, I read, I read the synopsis and everything beforehand too, because I wasn't sure what I was going to get into. I thought it was going to be very much like a, like an Orpheus and Eurydice kind of story. And it, it very much is, except that it ends a lot more happily or whatever mm -hmm. um, but you know that the whole story where the dude goes in the underworld and tries to get his wife back and if he turns around you know whatever uh, he can't have her whatever I thought it was going to be more like that and it almost is but it isn't and I was like really I, I really didn't know what to expect I, I was kind of surprised that it that that was the latter half of the movie was that journey um, like I, I truth be told, I didn't even know he was dead until like a quarter of the way in. I was very, I was kind of confused. Maybe it went over my head. Maybe I wasn't paying attention very well. Oh wait, you're you're talking about Robin Williams? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You didn't I, know he was dead? I didn't know. I mean, I had a, I was kind of thinking, but I wasn't entirely sure. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, it kind of gives you like a little bit of false hope, hope in a way, right? Where it's like, oh, is he gonna come back or not, or like mm -hmm, what? Yeah. yeah, or and and I wasn't. Sometimes I was like, is this a flashback? Is he still alive? Yeah. Is it present? Or is it not? I think that a lot of that stuff went over my head, but you know, I I, I followed it for the most part, and I was mm -hmm. like. Oh, he's dead. So this is like an afterlife journey type of story. And it, it was so strange, like, seeing... 
him I, I think you mentioned this a second ago like him being in heaven and like all the color yeah. colors like culminating like a painting it was a painting right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting idea and I and then I was like so this is like a Christian story or what like is it heaven hell type of thing I don't know I didn't really know what to make of make of it um but it 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 was cool like I it was cool seeing these visuals and stuff and then and then when he got to the halfway point is when the drama really starts of him trying mm-hmm. to go to hell and get his wife uh, because she had died too or something um and yeah it, it it was it was a trip that that that's all I'll say for now before we get too much into spoiler territory I guess mm-hmm. well one of the things I really liked about it is that you you said is it like a Christian or Catholic kind of thing it's mm-hmm. they really kind of stayed away from naming a religion for the whole thing honestly yeah you know i think one of the thing one of the rules was cuba gooding jr was mentioning was there are no judgments everyone kind of everyone comes here you know what's the what's the quote a place where we all go can't be bad right Mm -hmm. so everyone kind of just ends up there and it was kind of that was that was like my first time when i first watched it as a kid to really think about like outside of catholicism because i was raised catholic so it was like oh okay there is like a different version that could be interpreted as heaven. Yeah, especially with the reincarnation aspect. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I uh, grew up Catholic as well, too. Um, I attended church uh, until I was, I want to say, in fourth grade or so. And even, like, when I think back to, like, those experiences, it, it all feels like a blur to me. Like, I, I don't, like, I, I still don't feel like I ever grasped the concept mm. of of uh i guess the ritualistic side of religion of having to attend church like every week and in in that sort of way and that sort of thing and along with all the beliefs and stuff I, the only thing that stayed with me was the guilt aspect oh yeah and that mm-hmm. that's like of course like the number one thing that gets like drilled into you um and that created like a, a wave of like neuroticism in like the latter teenage years of my life or the mid teenage years of my life um and I kind of felt that same way too, Jezzer, where um, at times, like, I had sort of, like, the blanks. I, I felt like I was trying to fill in the blanks of, like, okay, is this a is this going to be a movie that's, like, preaching to me? Or is this a movie that's going to, like, go this route and do something different? And it did something different, which I'm very glad for. Um, uh, I, I went into this movie completely cold. Mm-hmm. I Like, you told me the title, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch a trailer or anything. I'm just going to watch it. Um, it's a good thing you didn't watch a trailer. The trailer gives away a good amount. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that trailer where it has the narrator like, Chris Nielsen goes to hell and all, you know, <laughs> and all that. And that style of trailer. So it's a good thing you didn't watch that. <laughs> but I, I got to say, like, in the, uh, the opening shots, like, just the still going with general impressions of the movie... It felt so welcoming mm-hmm. as a film. Um, there's like I have I have a very soft spot for like this type of aesthetic uh, that the movie has, where it's kind of like hazy a bit, and it, it feels like nothing's like too crisp. Um, you see this a lot, like in late '90s like cinema, as well as like early 2000s, um, and it's it's like whenever I see it, I just become in, in, instantly nostalgic. For that for that time period and then when you see him like on that giant hill in sweden yeah and i'm like man this this movie this it feels amazing to just like sit here and just like see this and just kind of like take it in and of course like you know i'm not trying to 
you know, uh, talk too much about like celebritydom on this or anything, but you know, I I'd be a monster if I said that uh, not seeing Robin Williams, like seeing him in this, like it, it really, he just has like this magnetic character where, or this like persona where it's just like you immediately feel like a warmth inside of you. Mm. Um, and you immediately like establish like empathy and concern and identify with that kind of character. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall impression, I, um, I feel like this movie, like, it, it, it's definitely a bit out there when it comes to, like, it's out-of-the-box thinking with, uh, this kind of tale that Jezer mentioned. Like, it, it's very much reminiscent of that tale of Orpheus and, and Eurydice, um, and almost, and Dante's Inferno as well. Like, all those, like, those mythological tales just kind of done in sort of a, a contemporary setting and it's it was really interesting to to see um sort of like the new advents in technology at the time in filmmaking like if you're just talking about the technical aspect um to see how that kind of like changes that uh classic myth yeah you saw the data machine for the painting effect oh yeah that that like blew me away for 98 like how ahead that was like he's on a set in like a pool and there's like props there but they put like an overlay of the paint and like the digital artifacts like kind of warp like when you data mosh certain digital medias together and it just creates like a weird surrealist like it really puts you there especially early on when the painting aspect of where he's at is very heavy Mm -hmm. I just remember being blown away by that I was like why didn't like I don't know any other major films that use that in that way I, I when that happened I thought that oh okay like once again filling in the blanks uh, this is gonna be another like Van Gogh movie like but <laughs> this is the one that started it where it's like oh we started off in live action now it's gonna be like all painterly and everything and it wasn't yeah. and I'm like oh my god like it, it keeps like it keeps building up my expectations and doing something like different with it <laughs> and that made me like really enjoy this movie as a whole like just a, just as a viewer, like pure entertainment, and it was just like, I don't know, it, it was refreshing. Uh, but um, that's my take on on the film so far. Well, um, fun fact that it, it did actually win the Oscar for uh, best special effects mm-hmm. at the I'm, time. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that 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 checks out. As I was watching it, I, I was very, I guess I was at the very least I was enticed with how the visuals made me believe they were kind of in this other world and other world and the the variety of it too i think when the when the pastels colors came in or whatever like when they were first in heaven i was like this is really strange it just it just looks so i've never seen a movie do this and and then then it kind of stick with it like you know it kind of had more variety afterward i'm I'm just kind of glad about that Mm -hmm. um but it i was like whoa like what is this idea and like just I mean, at, at, at the very least, like, visually for... I don't even know what year this came out. 98, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for ninety for something from 1998, like, it was visually intriguing, that's for sure. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, I, I especially agree with that point. Because I think for me, also, when it's early, and there's, like, the acrylic, like, dimensional aspect to it. There's certain parts where it kind of felt uncanny... But then that fit perfectly into like where the story was at that point where he's in this new place and it's all unnatural and off like when he tries to drink the coffee and all like the world's not you know formed properly so there's no other people there yet and all that mm-hmm. i really enjoyed that 
and yeah, I was happy that they pulled away from that. Uh, my big controversial take for this whole movie is we have the premise and the groundwork for probably one of the best movies ever made, but I don't think they execute on it. I think oh, yeah. if it's like a three hour, a three hour epic and they just, I don't know. They like, there's so many weird twists, not twists, but there's like a couple weird moments where it's like, I don't know if it's a script or, but I love like this new, this new age kind of Dante's Inferno aspect I was yeah. picking up and I wanted more. If, if it were remade today, if I were remaking it today, I would put in more demons in hell and give Robin Williams <laughs> some guns. Give him, a, give, him, <laughs> give him a scythe that like does something and then like a, a cross so sharring, you... sh- what is it, Ninja Star and Dante's yeah. Inferno the game? Oh yeah, yeah, just throw that shit across. Yeah. Did you want like a little more action from it is what you're saying or um i wanted like a i wanted a lot less exposition Mm -hmm. and a lot more of like a mood piece and a a more reserved performance from robin williams like he's in goodwill hunting and there's a a good way to put it yeah there's a lot of parts where there's like direct exposition and there's certain things that could have been held back from being revealed that would have like greatly contributed to like the weight of the exchanges as well as it would have built up certain characters. Certain characters, I think, certain characters seem like they directly exist only for the main characters, <laughs> like weight and interaction with them. You do get like one or two moments where they interact with each other through like memories or exposition that Robin Williams narrates to another character. But like there's certain reveals of like, if that was like, there was like an early Virgil character when uh, Robin Williams' character is in heaven, that's like showing him the ropes. And then like when the the concept of the journey to hell is introduced, I was like, I'm, this movie's only 90 minutes, but it's like, if this was like a three hour epic of like literally like retelling Dante's Inferno in certain aspects. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you reveal that the Virgil character is actually this person, mm-hmm. the weight that would have had, or you could have subverted it with had like, you know, he has two, there's, Early on, he has two kind of guides that show him the plane of heaven. If those two characters were to then go with him through the rings of hell to find his wife, who could be at the frozen lake, and then then you could have the full reveal. I felt like I was just seeing that. I was like, oh my god, there'd be so much like build up and payoff if you just hid this thing that we kind of got revealed early. And like I I I would say that like the premise is so interesting. I was like hooked. To, like I would love a full three hour just expanding and like just sub- more subtle and everything thing of this film. But I, I still give this film full credit cause I did enjoy the premise so much. So I, I've been thinking about it constantly. <laughs> like at night I was just sitting there like doing my dream version of like, it's so such a great premise. So many good effects, such a rich cast. It's just, yeah, just, it feels like just make Robin a little more subtle, but then it'd be a different movie than what it is. So you're saying it's almost like it didn't reach its full potential uh, I think, in your eyes. I think genuinely it has like the, it has like one of the most has a, an immense amount of potential. Mm-hmm. Like it could have gone like so far, but it, maybe it's just a product of its time, like the late '90s, Robin Williams' established career. But like you know, it's like it could have been like an uncut gems level mm-hmm. hit for Robin Williams. But <laughs> he does have other ones that are beyond uncut gems. What I'm what I'm curious about is so I know this is an adaptation, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm curious as to like how the book. Is supposed to go and how many changes they made for this script alone 
Um, there, there are a few changes. Um, what do you like? Which ones do you know of? So I remember knowing that the um, the ver the first guide in heaven is actually not. Um, he's who he says he is. He's there is no there oh. are no reveals. Okay. In the original book, um, Chris and Annie are rural type. They're not in San Francisco as a doctor and an um, uh. arcader. And also the kids are actually still, they're still alive. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Okay. That's, that's a really big departure. That's like a definitely big, big change. Different story entirely. Mm -hmm. And there is actually an alternate ending that I kind of do prefer than the uh, ending of the movie that we get. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to um, hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the other thing I'll say before I don't uh, oh we're, we'll jump into ratings after this the the, the other thing I, I'll say is um I, the party city wigs are were they were atrocious <laughs> I don't know if you noticed but I'm like this isn't Robin Williams's hair what the, oh what the um, fuck is this when you do the flashbacks when yeah. they're young like the um the wedding the, like, the, yeah, yeah I'm like yeah. this isn't his hair and then yeah. and then cut to him like with his actual hair <laughs> what the fuck. <laughs> Anyway, that's all. <laughs> I didn't like that. I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> because I didn't notice that when I was younger, but I was when I was watching it again, I was like, yeah, they really didn't, did not do it well. <laughs> See, and I think that that's part of the magic of this film, because um, I think that we, wait, we were talking about this like earlier, where we had asked like, oh, why did Armin choose this film? Mm -hmm. And like, to me, I, th I thought that, you know, like, you know, this seems like one of those movies that you see when you're younger that like really leaves like a massive impression on you because it's like such a grandiose idea of you've lived your life, but at the time that you see it, you're just starting it. And in the film, like they're at this point where they've lived their life and then suddenly it's gone. Like they're, mm. you're no longer here anymore. And it's, it's hard to grasp that concept of, okay, but when I open my eyes, I see all these details around me. I see these people around me. I feel in my body, but then it's gone. Like, what does that feel like? And then you see it play out. Oh, this is the, this whole experience of life was only just the beginning in the film. Mm -hmm. And then you see a second chapter sort of like take on like a whole other life after that. And then to like see like the music, the colors, like the effects, the the acting, like the performances, like everything, like it, it, it it's so something so different, so much more magnetized than you would see on like a typical like television at the time of, uh, you know, like a cartoon or something mm -hmm. like that. That's not to say that cartoons don't hit that level, but like if you're scrolling through like the channels or somebody pops in a movie of this, like, hey, check this out. That's going to do some, that's going to leave some sort of impact on you. Yeah, and it did. I, Because I've watched this movie so many times already. So I I definitely pick up like different parts, or I picked up different ideas from it in different part times of my life. But when I first saw it, it really was something other, like, yeah, like I said, I couldn't grasp what it is as deaf as a kid. Because, you know, I'm only eight years old. I didn't, I'd never, I haven't really experienced life. I was only conscious for like five, six years at the time. So, yeah, it was just, it leaves an impact because I had no idea what I was, like, really looking at. To see a whole life in the span of, what, maybe 15 minutes into the film, and then, bam, he's gone. It's It was very jarring for a kid to see that, mm -hmm. you know. And with that said, we'll jump ahead into ratings. 
I am going to give this film a 3.75 out of 5. Mm-hmm. I really loved the premise. The premise itself was amazing. I um, It's something so simple, but it's done in such like a really rich and like endearing way. Sure, there's a lot of flaws to this film, um, like surface level things. For instance, like wacky interactions at times. <laughs> like there was so many moments where I was genuinely like laughing because I, I couldn't tell if it was like being serious or not. It's like... It's so genuine to the point where it makes you question things at times. Like, for instance, uh, Albert's character, or Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character at times when he's, like, first introducing himself. It, it was just so funny at times. Um, <laughs> like, the, the writing gets a bit wacky. Um, and then, like, for some reason, uh, with Annie's character, I just couldn't, like... I couldn't connect with her at all during the entire movie like there there were some parts where it like came close to it but it, there was just like a distance or a disconnect between like how i was viewing the movie and trying to identify with her mode of thinking like there were so many times where it seemed like she acted out in a way that didn't seem fitting for that character but those that that's just my own perception mm-hmm. of it though um i could have missed out on something entirely I'm sure that if I were to go back and rewatch it again, I would pick up on entirely new things. Um, and I, I do agree with uh, some some points that Pat was making, where it it, it seems like it has it's it has everything going for it. It has like a grade A cast, grade A locations, grade A like funding for like effects and like all this stuff. And it, it, I feel like the the main drawbacks of this was the direction as well as the writing. Um, it doesn't really fall onto the actors, I'd say, because they were probably just doing what they were told to do. And some of the visual effects were a bit funny to me at times um, as well, like watching it. For instance, uh, in some of the hell scenes, you, you just see like Robin Williams like look and then like it's a huge close up on his face because they don't have enough like yeah. background for him <laughs> and then it's just like flames behind him and he's like ah <laughs> and it was like it wasn't like I don't view it as like bad though that's the thing it's like it's one of those movies where it has like you know for all of its flaws it if you just take it for what it is which is just a straight up metaphor you will enjoy it so much more than if you were to, like, view it and, like, critique it, you know, from point A to point Z. Um, To me, like, this movie is something that it leads you down so many different paths and then you think that you're going to go one way and it takes you, like, a completely different way, but then you somehow end up at that point that you thought, but it's different from the way that you perceived it. And it's really enjoyable when that happens um, because, like, the setup for some things, like, they, they really do pay off in the end. And I really loved the uh, the way that uh, they presented the concepts of like heaven and hell. Like even though they have names, which you know, being able to categorize something like that, sort of like a grandiose concept, it you can't do that with a single word. Like, it, but we try our best, you know, to to categorize things in our waking lives to make sense of it. But I I really enjoyed uh, hell's depiction most. Because um, it's something that um, the tracker said to Chris where they were 
you know, they're about to enter into this very pivotal moment. And he says, you have to be careful. Like the, the only thing that you have to lose here isn't your life. It's, you know, your, your mind. And even though it's something, it, it seems like it would be cliche to hear that, but it's not at all once it's, once it's told or once you get to that point. Uh, and the depiction of it really stuck with me long after like watching it. I, um, I watched it yesterday and similarly to you, Pat, like I've just been thinking about this movie a lot, which to me is a great movie. Uh, I'll give it a two out of five. I am someone who's going to overanalyze every detail, <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, I did like early on there were some reveals, but like from a certain, I think from one major reveal in the first fourth of the movie or third, once that reveal happened, I was able to predict every other, other reveal after that. <laughs> and I do like some of the inspirations. I do love, a, I do love a lot of the film, but then, uh, when we were talking about like the film has like an agnostic uh, aspect uh, for me, I don't see it nearly enough removed as I would like it to see. If we're going for like a you know this exp like a you, you can use the settings of hell and heaven, but then you know there's certain like there's certain aspects of the film where it's kind of a you know it's explicitly saying something about like people's. Uh, and connected to certain actors in the film, like certain decisions they've made, like with their lives and posts with their lives, where it's kind of like, ah, you know, there's, it's, it's, if you just showed more or didn't show more, or if you left a vagueness to it, uh, from a lot of the stuff in the film, I think would have been better. Uh, there's a, there's an aspect of Freud in the film literally and there's a certain character reveal that has a big freudian connection that really i did not sit well with me and it really removed that character's agency i was like this is like what do you say in film this is such a weird thing to have here and then uh i like the uh i like the use of artwork i think at a certain scene when a character's in a bed before something happens there's a boschk i think it is the boschk yeah. Tapestries on the wall behind them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, okay, I know where that. I just I could see that like okay, that's where that character's going, and then but yeah, just so many small things of just show more because you have these great effects, these great actors, like show us more and just less so exposition. Like you, we don't need to know. Suicide sends you to hell because of whatever you know, selfishness or self narcissism, whatever that's. That's like passing the judgment value. They could have said, like, oh, she went to hell because, you know, she lost her family and her soul was lost. And then, you know, hell's, Satan's sitting right there. Hell is sitting right there with the vacuum of those souls that are lost up. And then Robin Williams is like, okay, well, it's me. It's my job now to go there and get her. There's no judgment passed and all other aspects. And you can still have the same settings of, like, she's in hell and now he has to go get her there. Instead of saying, oh, she killed herself, she's in hell because of that. And then... It kind of makes her a flawed character where the hero, hero, heroic guy in heaven has to go and save her. Where it'd be better if she was just more like, you know, she was so distraught, she's in hell. And he's like, okay, well, my love for her will bring her out of that. Instead of, oh, she fucked up, she's in hell now. I guess I gotta go save her. It's kind of the, those small things, like, I know the film isn't meant for like a serious, not serious, but it's not like, it's not trying to be Citizen Kane or anything explicitly highbrow, but like, I wish it was, and then certain aspects like that like really hit me. I'm like, ah, 
don't do this film. I want other stuff. This is like kind of like upsetting me. <laughs> There's a couple <laughs> scenes where it's like, ah, stop. But yeah, aside from that, uh, again, like I said, I just love the premise. I would argue like this has has like Solaris levels potential. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's like it could go so far and it just it doesn't. And I'm a, I'm sad I have to give it a two out of five. Go. Oh, go for it. I want to hear what you... Uh, so, originally, like, you know, I'm kind of biased because, you know, this was a childhood film. But after watching it today, and I do have to lower my score slightly because I do I do see some of the flaws like you were talking about. The re- there are some reveals where I don't like at all, even that I was okay with when I was a kid because I didn't really understand it. But some of the reveals that I just saw, I was like, yeah, we couldn't have... We could have removed that, you know. But so I originally I would have gave it four, but I think I would have lowered down to like probably three point seven five as well, because there are just too many things that I noticed now that I wish they could have done different. But it does have such a big place in my heart for uh, from childhood. So, yeah, three point seven five. You know, um, that reminds me of um, something that I heard from somebody recently where it, it, it seems like so simple, like once you think about it but it's different to actually hear it you know out in the open Mm -hmm. where um somebody was telling me you know it's okay to you know absolutely love something but also criticize it too Mm -hmm. um and that goes along with like this other conversation i had about you know the game elden ring like with uh one of my friends david he was he was telling me like okay it's a 10 but like you know like what what are some of the things that are wrong with it like that's that's kind of something similar to how I would kind of attribute to this film, you know, because like Pat, you were talking about like how you you're sad that you're giving it this rating because like you wanted so much I, more of it. I love the premise. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. like I I want to like reiterate to like people who are listening to this like when we give like these ratings and stuff, like it is all personal like preference, like all of our like preconditioning, everything like that. Right. Yeah. Like just because we gave it like a 5 or a 1 or anything like that doesn't mean that it, we don't want to dissuade you from watching it. Um, and if anything, like Pat's rating of like a two means so much because like <laughs> he wants it to be fucking good. I'm, right? I'm literally writing like a three hour version of my brain. Like I'm obsessed with this yeah, movie. I'm yeah. just thinking about it constantly. That's the sign of a great movie. I agree. I think with criticism, the more the, the more you criticize something, it just shows how much you care for it. Yeah, you know? exactly, Armin. Yeah, so, you know, 2.5 and I totally get why you would say a 2.5 you there is something that you wanted it you wanted to go a different direction and I could see it go in that different direction so yeah you know the more the more you criticize something you just yeah you just like it more so but I do want to hear what Jesser has to say about it uh I don't know I don't do ratings as often as you guys so I'm gonna try my best here mm-hmm. and keep in mind I only watched it like for the first time today so I feel like if I watch it subsequent repeats, maybe the score changes. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to say like two and a half out of five. Right. Like two and a half out of five. Like maybe if I break it down, like the first half of the movie is like a two out of five. And then the latter half is like a two point five out of five or whatever. OK. Uh, I, I, I there's just parts that I was just confused at. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a product of the writing or or what, but. I and you know we'll get more into this later when when we jump to the spoilers or whatever um but there was just some things 
where I was like, wait, what? Like, how how does that work and why? And I don't know. It, it, not that I'm saying that that makes it a bad movie. Uh, that was just my whole, that was my experience. I was just kind of confused here and there. Um, I think... I think the re the thing that really bothered me, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but like before it does like a major reveal on the identity of a character, it does so much of like this back and forth of like flashback to present yeah. and flashback to present. And I'm like, why, why can't it just be the journey? Why can't it just be Robin Williams in, in this? I mean, I get it because you have to do this weird reveal for no reason. I don't know, but it's it's like why can't we just focus on the journey here and why couldn't like the first half of the film have been like their boring life and then and then you know connect these characters later or something but that's like a three-hour epic probably in pat's head you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm workshopping it I'm yeah workshopping it. you would want a little bit more backstory to I, all no, the characters or? no i want the backstory to like take place like early on or something and not oh, okay. cut back and forth and like i'm like where am i good this pacing is like crazy um, oh, I think I get it. Like instead of the flashbacks, you just place them before the just place all these characters and their interactions, yeah. the stuff that matters, like in the first 20, 30 minutes, if you can, or whatever. And then just let Robin Williams ride out the journey where he's at and not do this constant jump back, back and forth. Um, and then and then when the characters revealed who they were, like, oh, this character is actually this person from another life or this person's that person. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> Who the fuck cares? And why? Why are you? Look, why do you look like this now? It's I don't know. Like, oh, it's yeah. me, old friend. <laughs> don't recognize me anymore, do you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that. Again, I don't know if I was like, wait, what, or, or whatever. But you know. But I guess you know. I guess I like. I had to like suspend my disbelief, right? I was like, well, you're in heaven. I guess you could look like whatever you want. If I want to look like, you know. Uh, Chris Hemsworth I could you know <laughs> or I guess I don't know how it works but yeah I, I there were parts of it that I was like I don't know but you know I really like Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. so for, you know those guys I give them a 5 out of 5 just for being around you know what I mean <laughs> um why was Cuba Gooding Jr. naked the first yeah. couple times yeah. I saw him? <laughs> yeah. And then in one scene he has pants, but like only so he could put his hands in his pockets. Yeah. Like still no shirt. Yeah, or maybe he was cold on set. I don't I don't really know what happened there. It's a good question. Yeah, so it was cool. I, I you know, I don't really want I don't really like arguing like, oh, this could have been so much more, because that would like imply as if I know how to write things, which I don't. Um, but there are just some things that were definitely lost on me or just did not resonate with me. Um, but they, you know, it had a couple of cool ideas and probably this is a byproduct of the fact that it's an adaptation, which, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure that's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And with all of our ratings set, we will now move ahead into spoiler territories. So <laughs> if you haven't already, um, go check out this movie. Uh, it's available to watch. I think you could uh, rent it on iTunes, Google Play, on YouTube, Vudu, or Amazon Video. Or you could just buy the movie if you want. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're going to go ahead and jump into spoilers now. Boy, I screwed up. I'm in dog heaven. Where we all 
cargo can't be bad, can it, girl? What's the first spoiler? Because, uh, you know... Why is the the daughter the Asian girl? Yeah, I, I, knew, I, I knew that was the one that everybody was gonna be like, "What the hell?" That's the that's like the big Freudian moment yeah. for me, where it's like it kind of reduced. Like I took the form of a uh, a, a stewardess that my dad had that, the hots for. Yeah, and now that I'm scene him. flew over my head. It, it I was, was like, "What?" It was very strange. Was, yeah, it's like, "Oh, when I was you know, I took this form because." I was on a flight with my dad, and he he remarked how like beautiful and exotic or the, whatever the stewardess was. I was oh, like, yeah. that's why I was like, well, I was like, well, hold on, hold on, is that the daughter? I was like, whoa, 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 and then like a branch pa- passes and it's her, and I and, was like, no, no, what are you doing? And why? I mean, wh- I just just why? Just why the whole like why don't you play? Hey, dad, it's me. I look like this now. I don't fucking get it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's why. I, I, it's like, so, ah, did I get you? Yeah. <laughs> It, it, like the Freudian undertones and then the yeah. fact Freud shows up later and is like okay so they're aware of the undertones and it's not comfortable and then I think like with the flashback stuff like you were talking about I want to hop on that like the blue tree like I don't uh, know if I remember that but the blue tree you're talking about when she's painting yeah outside the house like it's the house from the painting and he's passed he's dead so that it's the mm. way he sees it yeah but to mm. communicate their connectedness uh, she adds something to that painting the blue tree to communicate right. her emotions and it shows up for him, like, okay, this is beautiful. But then they, like, exposition, explain it. Oh, yeah. And then oh, it, yeah, it yeah. cuts back, like, I think, like, four times. It cuts back to her. She's painting it. It cuts to them in heaven. They see it. Cuba explains it. And then it cuts to her, like, splashing the things. And then the leaves fall okay. in the painting. And then it cuts back to heaven. And the leaves, like, wither and fall. And now it's just the thing. And it's, like, communicating her emotion at the time. But I was like, this is perfect. You don't have to have anyone say it. Mm. Like, her adding that to the painting, like, in the flashback to the real life, and then we see it in heaven, and we're like, okay, there's a connection between them, their souls. And the conversation about the whole soulmate thing, right? Yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying. Like, they was, didn't have to talk about that. Yeah, that was nice, too. And then, like, I just remember, like, that's, like, a good, that's such a good premise or, like, communicator factor of their connectedness, as well mm-hmm. as her life itself. But the fact they killed the tree so early, and all this, like... It's just like it have so much more impact if you know like the stuff happens she kills herself and then the tree is like withered and died and then that's how he like that's how he out. knows he can mm-hmm. feel it or that's like when the twilight scene happens and I did love that when they're in heaven and the when she kills herself it's like a hard twilight oh mm-hmm. yeah 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 I I I would be very curious to see like I feel like in another timeline this movie has like a more chronological order you yeah know, taken on in the form of it because. I mean, we start off, like, just to, you know, have viewers, like, be on the same page as us, like, um, or listeners be on the same page. We start off at the beginning of the movie, Chris is on vacation in Sweden, and then he happens to come across his future wife, Annie. Um, They both are on a boat, I want to say. Two separate boats, yeah. Yeah, two Mm -hmm. separate boats, and they, like, bump into each other or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it's a very, like... You know, it's it's already like being set up from point A, and then at that point we then find them both on top of like a majestic hillside, which to me feels way too coincidental. Coincidental. Yeah. So that's already like the way that I'm framing this movie is not as like other people existing in it. I'm viewing this as like Chris's death, 
in a way where all these people that are inside of the movie are just like projections of like they're basically an accumulation of experiences that he shared with these individuals which is why we don't see all these other impactful people in Chris's life. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, you know, one could argue that it's because of like the resources, they didn't want to like cast more people, they didn't want to like write in more people, anything like that. But this is just how I'm framing the movie. Like it makes it more enjoyable for me to, um, to see like Chris's descent into death and to, you know, an afterlife of sorts. Um, because in it, he gets to experience, like, you know, seeing his children again. He gets to see his dog again. He gets to be with his wife and, like, pull her out of this sort of thing that he's always sort of suspected with her. Um, because in in the film's very non-linear fashion, we, um, see Chris's death occur, of course, where he's trying to save somebody on the freeway. By the way, a quick sideline. If you're ever in an accident on a freeway, do not stop to help because you can die. Um, I I was in a car accident recently on the freeway like two months ago. And when I was going to pick up my, um, my police report, the CHP officer was like, yeah, don't ever do that. The, like just a week ago, somebody tried getting out to help and they ended up getting smashed by a car. Uh, a few other people did as well. Um, just let the police come out there. Let the ambulance come out there. Let them do what needs to be done so that's a quick sideline don't be a hero because there are people who are driving 65 plus miles an hour who might not be paying attention all it takes is them smashing into a car that then dominoes into you and then you die as well so just be careful about that stuff this episode Um, sponsored by chp yeah chp (laughs) yeah by the way no i'm kidding (laughs) um anyways um yeah, so we see, like, this very, like, Hollywood moment, which to me was another tell, like, of, of the way that I'm perceiving it. You see, like, this car go off a fucking ramp, and then it does, like, the classic, like, 180, and it, like, flips over, and then it just collides right into him. It feels, like, very... Okay, that's what the, that's what the word is for me. Um, This film is very dreamlike. It has, like, a very dreamlike narrative to it, and it uses dream logic... And I think that that's what made it more enjoyable for me in the end. Um, and then I feel like the, the time it takes for Chris to die, to actually like get his bearings in heaven, it, was, it took so fucking long. <laughs> like I was like sitting there being like, oh man, like I feel like I was like, I was like checking the time. I'm like, man, there's like so much left. Like what is going to happen? Like, uh, I don't, I don't even know. Like, when, when is he going to, like, go to hell? And um, because I thought that, uh, similar to what you were saying, Pat, I thought it was going to have Solaris vibes where, you know, you're where it takes its time in a way mm. to build up these sort of relationships. And then um, it sets them up long in advance. That way, when you finally get to those points, it hits even more yeah. and it stays with you. Um and seeing like the the constant like flashbacks felt like it undercut that a bit to me and but at the same time when i think back to like the dream logic of where it's constantly shifting uh it's like a stream of consciousness in a way and it elevates it for me at that point because i'm i'm trying to give it like the benefit of the doubt you mm-hmm. know like i'm trying to view it as being like intentional in that way i yeah, I when when the 
latter half of the movie starts and that's right before they start the journey into hell and stuff that's for me when the movie really begins because that's when the drama happens and i'm like oh like seeing robin williams and cuba gooding jr argue is, is really cool and then going into hell and seeing all these different image images and yeah. and it got way more creative when they got into hell the river stick scene was pretty unnerving yeah yeah, yeah. The, a lot of that was really cool i was like why couldn't we just gotten here sooner like Fuck all these other characters and their backstory. I know I said that earlier, like, let's, let's dedicate the first hour or whatever to more backstory, right? But actually, in reality, I'm like, no, fuck that. Just get on it over into hell. Let it be about the journey. I don't know. But maybe that's because I'm like, I want to stick to that traditional Dante's Inferno Greek myth yeah. style of story, which we've seen a hundred, hundreds of times. You know what I mean? But maybe they want to do something different here. I don't know. I think you can make such a good contemporary one and then like the amalgamation yeah. thing I like it's like with the flashbacks I think with the more linear narrative of getting of like establishing the family better uh, the deaths and then the heaven establishment and it's like okay we're in heaven he's got his bearings don't show the kids and then we begin the Dante Inferno journey to mm -hmm. find his wife and then I think in that rich setting and the rich, you know, creative environment you can do, like where the ground is made of faces. Yeah. I think that's like the first ninth, whatever level it is, I forget. Mm -hmm. And then like that scene where he mistakes a man for his dad or something like that. It just, it, it hit chords to me where I would love, I've seen like even contemporary, I did like a paper, I saw a paper puppet version of Dante's Inferno, with like it's more contemporary. But with this movie, I'd love to see, like, you know, Robin Williams talking about his kid, not a flashback. Yeah. Like, while he's at, like, the fifth level or whatever, and it's, like, the czar's daughters whose jewelry protected him from bullets during the revolution. But they're in hell or something, and then, you know, he's doing, like, a little parental thing or whatever. You can write it. Is what I, someone could write that. Yeah. And make it a lot more endearing than how much we're going back and forth. And you still play chess? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever he says to the, to the first kid the, the, the reveal towards the end I think it's a when Albert shows his real self if that I'm correct yeah yeah you're talking about wait which Albert the real Albert oh yeah that, that oh, thing okay. was so confusing to me yeah. like, like wait so he I don't know like why did he want to be a white guy first of all and then, and then why yeah. did why did his son want to be Cuba Gooding Jr well the son had a reason his reason was that he, he that, would only listen to him. He respected yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that. The thing that really threw me off was, why did Albert choose to be like this guy? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I still say it's Sigmund Freud, because they talk about the reincarnation aspect. I think that character mm. does. So it, leads, it led me to believe that he was Freud in a past life, went to heaven, oh. and then reincarnated, and he was Albert in that life after. And hmm. he's in the Freud form, but mm. he's like, but I'm also Albert, and... He did you say know. that he's gone back a few times already, so yeah. Albert might already be somebody else from that. So yeah, yeah, you got a good point. I didn't even think about that, honestly. Yeah. See, these are little things I need, like I won't see until I rewatch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and then the establishment of like you know, I think it's it's kind of thrown away so fast with the daughter's introduction, but like you know, they, they both those characters say like, oh, you'll see them when you're ready. Mm. Like you saw the dog right away. You're ready for the dog, but mm. like you're. You know, it's like you don't need it. Could the Albert could literally be Albert because it's, it's heaven, it's all dreamlike. Like, like they switch locations like this. And it's like, who's to say characters can't know everything and switch immediately? Like, yeah. who's that? Like, Albert could have been there the whole time. And at the penultimate moment when he needs to see his son, 
in whatever ring of hell he's in, you know, the sun could just be there. And then they can have that reunification, that beautiful moment. And then, yeah, that's the thing is it's, it's, it's just too much exposition, too much rules. And it's like literally a a dreamscape world that doesn't need those rules. Mm -hmm. They said that there are no rules, so there shouldn't be any rules. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, taking your form doesn't matter. It's just, someone says, you'll see them when you're ready. Like, okay, they can show up at any point in this film because it's all dreamlike, heaven-like, dimensional yeah it's not it doesn't have to be literal i don't need to you know the reveals that happen although it is nice it was they were still pretty nice i did enjoy them what um uh i guess my question i'm thinking of now is what are your guys's favorite versions of like this story because we've all seen this story this idea this story adapted in other things if, if off the top of your guys's head if you have like favorite versions of it in other uh, shows or movies or games or mediums like what would it be you're talking about the descent to in, into hell um, yeah i feel like for me off the top of my head like uh there you know there's an episode of like adventure time where jake and finn go into hell to get the fucking soul of this plant that they killed because like princess <laughs> bubblegum is gonna be mad or whatever and i thought that you know that's like the same story and it's fucking hilarious and stuff and and you know, there's like also uh, there's also an anime movie called Children Who Chase Lost Voices by Makoto Shinkai. Same thing. Uh, they go into like this otherworldly dimension underneath the earth to like see if they could get their wish fulfilled, and like one of their teachers wants to see his dead wife and stuff, and that like fucks up everyone else's plans. So I don't know. It's like, is there like a different version of this story that you guys like enjoy in another movie or whatever? Well, I can't think of any right now. You know, mm. you know. After you brought up the um, the myth of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, it, it makes me think back to like a portrait of a lady mm. on fire. Like I don't know mm. if if um, it's a literal yeah, it's it's a, out of it. Not a they don't go anywhere. It's just their lives and their relationship is the journey. That yeah, and is. and it's all about like the metaphor of it too. And that's that's kind of the reason why you know those myths stand the test of time. It's because they need to be constantly recycled with each generation Mm -hmm. because it's a pivotal point to to kind of like keep in the back of your head as you continue living your life it's to like constantly think back on those metaphors as almost like a forewarning because none of them most of them don't end well for instance like with orpheus's uh myth he like looks back at the last second because like the the suspense and it's just too much to bear and, and then yeah portrait does it so beautiful where it explains like three different ways that could have meant and then the film has its own version of that it's like oh this is a like what the fuck here's no, a fourth interpretation that the scene i think you know the scene yeah um where it's like the ghost like image and then all of a sudden it just disappears into the back of the hallway that scene was like a a perfect recreation of of that notion um for me like pat i'm so glad you brought the movie up earlier solaris is is it for me um solaris is one of those like it's like one of my top tier sci-fi movies ever because it's it's about a journey of um of a psychologist named chris kelvin who is uh sent away to a lone space station in space uh, and it's in orbit of this one planet called solaris which is basically a living entity it is basically like an oceanic planet that has a that has consciousness on its own and 
all the people that have who have been aboard the space station they've either like been killed like gone missing and there's only like a few survivors left but they end up having these encounters with these kinds of uh creatures that the planet recreates because since it's like this giant consciousness basically it dips into the consciousness of all these other people aboard the space station to where it recreates either their like greatest fears their greatest loves um figures in their lives and when Chris goes aboard the space station, his dead wife, uh, uh, Rhea in the book, or Hottie in the film, she uh, comes back to life. And it's revealed that, I mean, it isn't revealed, but it's talked about earlier on that uh, she killed herself um, because she was just like so depressed in like the relationship. And this new entity that is like haunting Chris on the space station is Chris's interpretation of, of his wife. And he's, like, sort of haunted by this notion of, like, you know, his failings as, like, a, as a partner, as a lover. And it's, like, it's, I, I feel like anybody who likes science fiction or likes this kind of myth, you should definitely check out Solaris, because it's, it's, it's another amazing take on this kind of story. But otherwise, I was going to say Berserk, um, mm. because it's very similar <laughs> with, a. I don't want to give it away to, to Jezzer because he's reading he's reading <laughs> yeah. Berserk right now. No, um, but oh, yeah. if if you make it past uh, for anybody who's interested in Berserk or has wanted to check it out, it was first a, a manga and it later on became an anime as well as like feature films. Um, a lot of the stuff that tackles it in anime as well as the films is the Golden Age arc, which deals with guts as a lone. Uh, uh, like swordsman basically mm. like basically joining up with a militia uh, called the band of the hawk and they basically just raid castles um, back in like what is it like it's fantasy yeah fantasy, fantasy like medieval yeah but uh, if you make it past the golden age arc just only like 20% but that's where all the video media seems to be stuck at mm-hmm. but it's- it, it I, I think it takes off no, after... It's, it's, the Golden Age is like the start, and then the real growth goes from there. And like, there's like so many characters and arcs that pay off. Wait, so which arc which arc is it that you're referring to? This for? this arc that I'm referring to is... I mean, it kind of starts off at Black Swordsman, I yeah. want to say, because that's when it... I think we're, we're still currently in the arc. Yeah, we're still currently in the arc, but um, if you're reading it in the manga, it starts off with the Black Swordsman arc, and then it goes into the Golden Age... And after that, it goes back to the Black Swordsman for a bit, doesn't it? Or yeah, it's a return. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then it goes into Lost Children, which doesn't really tackle this concept oh, that we're talking about. I thought you were talking about the concept of. I'm talking about conviction, the oh, conviction arc, okay. as well as uh, the Millennium Falcon. I was, I was thinking, yeah. And then of course like Fantasia. I think I was I was I was interpreted as from Golden Age to Fantasia is like the. So these are all yeah, like yeah. late, late stories then. Yeah, okay. it's like right at the tail end of Golden Age. No, actually, it's the end of Golden Age. The end of Golden Age is like the start of... Up the, to where it is now. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, or for anyone who is interested in Berserk... <laughs> just read it. The, just read it. Um, the author unfortunately passed away over a year ago, Kentaro Miura. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been... Given a new lease on life yeah. by his uh, lifelong friend, um, who's also a renowned manga artist. The name escapes me, 
but we get to see the continuation of it. Uh, I'm excited. I am shaking in my boots because I saw the latest thing. But um, anyways, that's my favorite. Those are two of my favorite interpretations of this myth. Um, mm. I don't know who else. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I I I I guess I ask only because I think about it and I'm like, this story kind of has been told over and over again, and I I've seen it like you know a few times over, and I'm I'm super curious about like, does that stain or or sort of mess with the way I interpreted this particular this particular story in this particular movie? I I don't know. Um, you know, I, I really don't want to be one of those people that are like, oh, it, it, I, well, when you compare it to this movie, it doesn't do that or it doesn't do that. And so on its own, it's bad. I'm like, no, I want to try to like, just judge this particular movie on its own merits. And yeah, really it's, it's just like, I, why the fuck do we keep cutting back in the <laughs> middle of like the journey into the flashbacks and like, why couldn't it have just been about him, heaven and hell why do you gotta yeah. go back and forth? But like it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's why like it gets not. I have to knock it for those stuff because it's, it, it, the core the core premise is still up. You know the guy goes to heaven for the, the uh, the lover and all that and like it, it's it's been ta- it's been told multiple ways in many different ways. Like one I think of is like an Event Horizon mm-hmm. has like a Dante's Inferno angle with a good sci-fi Solaris aspect. And, and, and you know, I guess my question is, how do y'all feel about the ending? Like, was it to me? I'm like, oh, okay, it's nice. Like, it, but I'm like, it's too happy. And like, let's be mean to the characters. Well, like, yeah. come on. I don't that's know. Where, that, that's where I go back to like directly to Solaris, like the frozen. I don't know if you've seen Solaris, but the frozen lake ending and the final embrace. Oh God. Like the, the impact that has it's like it's inspired by Dante's and there's inspirations but like it executes it in its own way that has such That's weight haunting yeah I just kind of like in my mind I was like oh if you, you if you just ripped off the Solaris ending and put it in this film like the back and forth with the memories about her in the asylum or in the institution it just undercuts like a proper mood piece of the rich environment that's been told many of times we can always like you know, like it has a very unique stylized hell or a heaven. I mean, with the pastels and the blend di- digital moshing and the all like, and then they, when they go to hell, it's also interesting. And it's like you can, you know, people have been there before, but you can. I I, I just believe you can. This film particularly could have had like higher weight, or it could have paid off more mm-hmm. instead of what we got, which was like you know direct flashbacks, the characters telling the audience in a way like how things are and. You know how characters feel yeah like if if robin williams spent like four minutes walking on a frozen hellscape lake and then he just like walks up slowly to Anne, i believe and, and just collapse on his knees and she like wrapped her arms around his head and the movie just ended that ambiguous ending i'll be like this is perfect they went to heaven oh. for me they could have stayed in hell for other people but and that's just a direct rip off of solaris yeah but like it, it could have said its own thing it could have had the kids helped you could have the family come together and their growth as a, you know, beans in heaven now. And it's a beautiful ending. But we get like, you know, kind of weird flashbacks to the mental institution where Robin Williams is saying, I'm leaving now. He's broken up about it. But then like the decision to leave kind of undercuts the relationship as well as like the film. Like a lot of characters exist to be attached to him and his immense capacity to love. 
Yeah. Which is like, it's a good character aspect to have for the Robin Williams character. It's like, we get it, bro. Like, yeah. after the first kid, I was like, all right, you don't have to keep showing other kids. Like, yeah. What the fuck? It's only like one of them. Yeah, or just, you know, have some like my dinner with Andre lines where like the what is a son? There's like so much room for like other people have told similar stories and you could have. Yeah. This movie has the legs for that. It's just the script doesn't go there. And then it feels I know it's because it's based on a pre-existing material and I haven't read that material. Uh, Armin, I feel like you're, you've got something to say about the ending here. Well, the ending, it's, um, there's two things I want to say about it. Um, I think I like, one of the things I do like about the ending is that he, because when I first saw this, I saw it as a single man, right? And then when I saw it a couple times in the past now few years. Now you're two men. Divided. <laughs> <laughs> like I have my toastest. Right. <laughs> but now after being in a relationship for two years, now I have the asp- the perspective of having a partner. And... I just like the idea of um, him actually, because when he when he originally or they're in the mental institute, right? He does originally give up, but not, but he gives up on her and he's like, all right, here's the divorce papers. You know, this is where we are. I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea that in the end he actually says, I'm I'm willing to give up heaven to just suffer with you. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, a lot of people don't really have that person to really do that for until they found that one person you know so when i when i saw that this time i was like yeah am am i willing to do that for my partner just to give up eternal bliss right and just stay in this cracked out version of our lives together (laughs) and regarding the ending about it being too happy the alternate ending i did mention about earlier there is a difference oh so the afterlife heaven aspect is actually not your final resting place it is a in between between reincarnation mm-hmm. uh, the there are rules in this alternate ending stating that since Annie uh, cut her life short they do have to reincarnate and go back and then they will eventually meet up fall in love again but she will die she will die a death an early death and Chris must be a widow for the next however many years Whoa. until he comes back to heaven and they Whoa. meet together. Mm. So that's actually something that I do kind of prefer because she does kind of seem like uh, there are kind of no consequences consequences for what happened. Mm-hmm. But I also don't like the idea that, you know, you have to judge a suicide because yeah. that's actually something that I actually did change my viewpoints about earlier. I was like, yeah, what she did was wrong. As I got older, I was like, oh, okay, I understand why she did it. Yeah. So I wouldn't call it wrong. But I kind of do prefer that alternate ending. Yeah, that's a very interesting take on um, the secondary ending because it gives a little bit me it gives a little bit more leeway in terms of like the agency of like why somebody chooses to do what they do, mm-hmm. um, and especially because of like the huge like gray area that is involved with suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, in this film, there I feel like they they tried to do this thing where they had chris's character be like the voice of reason in this place that's supposed to be like considered like near perfect yeah um you know here he is talking with like albert which is actually his son um about you know about you know how wrong it is to cast judgment on annie for killing herself um because you know if you were to get into a very very gray grayed out area where you have somebody with like a terminal disease who happens to go to like a place Mm -hmm. like you know, where they do have voluntary or assisted suicide, would they then face that same judgment? 
of having to go to hell because they chose to cut their life short. Because it's like, there are some people in like some modes of thinking and philosophies where it's saying that suf that suffering is the main ingredient of life, basically. And to live is to suffer, and to basically try to protect yourself from that suffering is meant to, it's sort of like a rejection of life in a way. Mm -hmm. um, because if you think about like death, I, I think about it like if you think back to the time where you weren't alive, there's like nothing, right? Like that's, that's what I view like death is. Yeah. And, um, and you don't really feel anything. Like it's just, it's just kind of like you, you're just a part of like this giant dark ocean in a way. Um, and when you decide to, you know, cut your existence short here, I'd imagine that a lot of people try to do it for a good reason. You know, um, whether it is that they're just, they face too much like trouble or, or have faced a lot of difficult luck. Like for instance, Annie, you know, believed in this film, you know, she lost two of her children or very early on lost her husband. Um, basically went on a complete like downward spiral to the point where she just chalked it up to, you know, sometimes when you win, you lose. Mm. And, uh, she had to go back to that frame of thinking you know, at, with Chris's aid of, you know, spinning it around to it, it's like, oh, or sometimes you, when you lose, you win. Um, uh, I, I, I feel very ambivalent about the ending because, you know, it's great to know that, like, Chris was able to be Annie's salvation because, like, they were both soulmates. And I like the idea of him being able to give up this reward that he has been promised in order to be alongside like the love of his life but i feel like it, it sort of undercuts annie in a way because there's way too much judgment placed on her for choosing to you know end things the way that she did which hearing this alternate ending where it's like now that she has turned around that even though she knows that going back you know, into like another life, basically like reincarnating. Uh, she goes into it knowing, I'm assuming that she is going to die early. Yeah. So this, the, she, they're supposed to have, a, she's supposed to have an early death, making Chris a widow for the rest of his life. And it's supposed to be like, it's, I think the number is supposed to equal how much she was actually supposed to live in her original life. So mm -hmm. something along, the, along those lines, but yeah. Like to me that, that makes sense. But there's also a, a bit of a hang-up that I still have with it. Because it's mm. like, okay, who's the judge of this? Yeah, and then yeah. also it's, it's about making Robin Williams' character like even greater. It's like, oh, I'll take that burden because you couldn't. And it's yeah. Like, oh, okay, we're, let's stop cutting Annie down. <laughs> yeah, stop it. She's already like... <laughs> it's it's kind of weird because there's rules, but it's a place that's been established that there are no rules. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, yeah that is kind of weird. A little contradictory, huh? Yeah, like, like you said, who's creating these... Uh, these rules yeah. that you have to follow. And is he a just god or is he an evil god? Mm -hmm. Like, well, they only mention God once, I think, yeah. in that whole film. And in they handle it good, and the, but then there's like weird rules. Yeah. And then it's that the voice of re reason, Robin Williams, is like when he addresses his son, who's disguised as Albert. And that also hurt the character. That again, that hurt the kids' characters for me. Like, oh, you can't go. Mom's in hell. 
Oh yeah, like, like, no. like oh, you just completely rejected. Yeah, that's like, why I want them. To, I wanted both of them to be like a Virgil guide until a certain threshold, and it's like, okay, we guided you here because you know you're the one who got to save her because you know she's not damned. Mm. But the film feels like it's saying like, no, she's damned. She fucked up. I think it is a product of the time. That too, yeah, and that's yeah, just like Robin Williams's character's eccentricity. Mm. It's very much like because it's Robin Williams in the role. Well, it's kind of eerie also because, you know, you take a real life context. Robin Williams did commit suicide. So it's kind of strange because when I watched it again, I was like, oh, yeah, this, mm-hmm. it's so sad. Yeah. This movie is saying the thing that that he did. You know, he's condemning himself to damnation. I'm like, damn, this is kind of. Yeah, I wonder like how this film ever was for him personally mm-hmm. and like what he was struggling with mentally as he was in this character. I don't know. I was just, I'm just super curious about that. I mean, it was separated about 15 years before mm-hmm. he actually died. So it's I don't true. Know. But I mean, it might have still been on his mind. Yeah, he might have still been depressed his whole life. For all we know, I have no idea. I mean, Jim Carrey has been depressed apparently all his life. He didn't know it, or what? Maybe he did. I forget. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's definitely one of the newer flaws that I've recently noticed as I got older is the judgment on the suicides, and. The reveals, I'd rather have the characters stay who were who they originally said they were. Because yeah. I like the origin the relationship between Albert and and Chris as with Albert as a young man. I, I really like that. The mentor, but as someone you've never seen as before. Well, um I think that we now's a good time to give some of our closing thoughts on the film, if we happen to have any. Uh, I feel like I've said everything I wanted to say, <laughs> truthfully. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Maybe they should have fought God or brought some guns into hell. Oh, I really <laughs> like how hell looked. I mean, I love how there's all this crazy shit in the background. The and, then, and then there's the lighting on his face is like so fucking like plain and normal. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is this? Well, there was some green screen. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Scenes, yeah. But like, it's so obvious. Like they're in front of a green screen. Like the lighting on their faces didn't match what the fuck is going on behind him. When you guys, if you guys rewatch it, watch the scene where Albert or his son is saying goodbye to him right as he goes to find Annie there is a gr- a bunch of group of people behind Albert and you know they were the ones like trying to attack him yeah they're like and then in that scene they're literally just standing still they're just frozen I noticed that they're just standing there it's so weird that, that, but yeah that, but it goes back to the magic or the it doesn't matter it's not not of consequence yeah it's like if you feel I, I believe in that situation like if you feel enough love or whatever it is towards the sun like that's like a built in repeller of like evil spirits or evil whatever the evil plane itself is like okay we can't touch them i get i, I see protected that by love it, it just it, it just looks yeah. it, looks, know, it looks goofy they're like wait they're having a father-son moment hold your fucking spirits and then one of the subtle things in this movie that uh i want to go back and uh reevaluate mm-hmm. is when you get the hell you start hearing accents do you really? Yeah. You start oh. hearing some accents. <laughs> and you start you start noticing oh. some different ethnic buildups of characters. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. notice that either. If you, uh, if you go back, is there yeah. any Germans in down there? Or? There's the, I, yeah, that's Whoa! Like, we're talking about the Sea of Faces. You're like alienating our Sea of Faces has, as well as the ascent to the Sea of Faces. <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, yeah, I'm starting to. Like, it's just the voices cast like calling out, right? Yeah, it's, they're like going up. There's, yeah, there's like suddenly there's accents and like different. Yeah. Like, uh, you know what? I just realized that. 
Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute. What, what are they trying to say? <laughs> yeah, as well as the people on that initial, like, the attackers in hell. You know, it's the classic thing of, like, you know, ugly people are evil or... Yeah. And then, again, it's a more diverse demographic when we're in hell. It's like, oh, what are you saying, film? Yeah. <laughs> Not directly, but, you know, it's one, it's one of those things of, like... Those choices made. Yeah, yeah. Or even if it's inadvertent or a product of the time, it's kind of like, ah, that wouldn't fly today and you know if i was making the movie i wouldn't you know i'd be very conscious of that especially when we're passing judgment on who goes to hell in heaven yeah i'm yeah. like curious as to like yeah. who like what happens if you're like hitler or something and you yeah, go to hell you, like what, I, you what do you get hitler yeah what do you, yeah what happens then that's why i wanted the don a little more like historical characters and, yeah. yeah pass judgment on like hitler i don't want like just yeah. a vague someone with Van an accent yeah. yeah someone with a vague accent in hell and like kind of like oh i don't think they were catholic maybe <laughs> <laughs> now they're in hell, I guess. Like, yeah. And then, like, yeah, it could be a product of just the casting director. It's like, yeah. oh, here's the actors for heaven, mm. and here's the actors for hell. And you like look at the casting director. I'm like, what are you trying to say, man? <laughs> what, what did you guys think about the, uh, well, I guess the heaven culture? Like, you saw the way that they were dressed, the whole, uh, the whole look of it. Oh yeah. Because it wasn't, you know, they're in modern times at the time. It's the '90s, but they're all dressed as if I, it was. I don't know. I I thought that it was like heaven was like you could paint it however you want, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of a thing based on your psyche or some shit. Yeah. yeah. So I don't. I mean, I th I thought it was like okay, Robin Williams just looks like he's just dressed like how he normally would be or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I interpret it as it, like the souls, like their fashion is mm -hmm. what they're there. Like yeah. whatever body they are. Like the Sigmund Freud character, or the Albert's real body is like a guy from not Albert's time. Oh, okay, yeah. I interpret when you see other characters at different in different clothing period period periodically different clothing. It's like oh, it's just a product of their time. Mm -hmm. I think there's like a kid who like does a funny run on the water, and they're wearing like a probably 1920s bathing suit has like the black and white stripes. I think it's like oh, that's like you know this person lived in the 1920s and now they're in heaven. Okay. For sure. Mm. That's, that's just how I interpret it, at mm. least. Yeah. Huh. I, I'm still of the mind that, like, the, the entire look of, you know, heaven and hell was all, like, Chris's perception. Um, like, it's not necessarily, like, the, the mm. you know, paramount version of, of what heaven and hell looks like. It's, that, it's mm -hmm. his experience being subjected yeah. into this space. Oh, okay. Um, There's a lot of that with the, I think the scene with the daughter on that weird pier. Yeah, yeah. Like that's in the room with them in the mm -hmm. flashback as well. Yeah, which which is why like I still view this film as like Chris's entirety like perception of like a stream of consciousness of like you you have like an explosion of fluid in your brain like once you die. I was waiting for that twist from a popular movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like I I'm I I view this film as almost like a, a like a like a psychedelic experience because when you're when you're on like certain substances like mushrooms or like LSD or anything like that uh, you aren't as um, you don't have as many barriers to thoughts as you do when you are living like a like you know plain like everyday normal existence where you know if you sleep like eight eight hours a day you like hardly any intrusive thoughts can come to you but like the more sleep deprived you are the more intrusive thoughts can like attack you and like they, they just come back as like waves in a way but like when you are in like this sort of like 
very sensitive like state of being where like the slightest influence can like paint an entirely different world for you that's how i viewed this movie mm -hmm. um because you know there's the 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 topic that that was very present during this discussion of of flashbacks and it's like imagine that like you are like incredibly stoned or something like that and then you're just trying to like focus on the on the topic at hand or like the task at hand of like I need to get a point A to point B, but then you get distracted by all these other thoughts and things that like trigger these memories inside of your brain to where you just become fixated on them. And then all of a sudden, like it takes like one other thing to distract you from that to where like, oh yeah, I need to focus on the journey that I was on. Like we see that, but it's on f in film, like yeah. on screen, like it's taking place on screen, like these distractions. It, it, that's that's how I view this movie as like it's just his whole experience without mm -hmm. we're not looking from the outside we're looking from inside his uh yeah yeah it's yeah. like a, it's a mosaic of yeah. of um Chris's life both living mm -hmm. as well as dying yeah mm -hmm. I, I well the last thing I'll say on this for me the thing I really got out of this movie is like what they're really saying is anywhere could be heaven if you choose to live and you know that's like a saying also out of Evangelion. I'm like, did they just rip off of this movie? I don't know. <laughs> this, is a, this is a prequel to Evangelion? I, I don't know. You know, you know knows? Robin Williams did mm -hmm. have a Evangelion tie-in with one-hour photo. He did. He you know, did. I, I'm surprised that that movie has not been discussed on this podcast. I've never seen that one. I haven't seen it yet either. Mm -hmm. Oh, like we, we talked about it a bit on Jezzer's set, like when we were talking about horror movies. Mm -hmm. um, one-hour photo is another film that that has Robin Williams in it, but in a very, very different kind of role. He plays a, a photo clerk where people go to the, you know, a convenience store, like a Rite Aid or any, or like a CVS, anything like that, where they used to have, you know, the promised one hour photo development times. And he goes through and he becomes fixated on this one particular family where he's sort of like living vicariously through their photos. And it becomes like sort of like a stalkerish thing. And he plays this character named Sai who appears like very like harmless but then it sort of like devolves and very very standout role of Robin Williams. Oh, um, I gotta check it out. Yeah I feel like that'll be a film that ends up getting discussed on this podcast for sure. But um, if we don't have any more closing thoughts uh, we'll go ahead and close out this episode. Um, once again, thank you for coming on, Jezzer and Armin. Yeah, thanks for having course. me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if either of you want to like mention any sort of things of like where people can like you know look more into your own personal stuff, feel free to do so. Uh, no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> uh, I mean, the YouTube channel's been kind of dormant for a little bit, but you can find me on it's Armin Lopez on anything. So that's it. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, Pat, do you have anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Mm, no, I'm drawing a blank. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for joining us again on another episode. It's always a pleasure. You can catch this film once again on uh, iTunes if you want to rent it, on YouTube, uh, Vudu, or you can buy the film, whatever you prefer. But definitely check it out. And if you want to reach out to us at Layfilm, you can do so by writing to us through email. Um, our email address is at layfilmpodcast at gmail.com. 
If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so at Lee Film Podcast. Uh, if you want to do a solid, you can leave us a rating on Spotify, on iTunes, whatever podcast platform you have. If they have a rating system, we'd greatly appreciate it because uh, we do not get paid for this stuff. <laughs> uh, we do it out of the goodness of our hearts, uh, which is why the schedule is very irregular. You do we, it for the people. Yeah, we do it. We do it for the people, and we do it also uh, as a excuse to hang out with yeah. ourselves, watch each movies, other and, and to have you know be able to talk about movies with the people with people like you guys. Um, really appreciate it. I hope to have more guests on in the future, um, as well as repeats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you all for listening, and um, thank you for joining in on this discussion. Have a good one. Peace out. See ya. Energize. <laughs> When I was young, I met this beautiful girl by a lake.